Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick, roughly in the order that they were published in, although I've been cheating from time to time on that on that point. Um, and anyways, um, we're getting to the end of the short stories here. Only three left. Uh, in this episode, I will be looking at I Hope I Shall Arrive Soon. This is a return to science fiction. He had written a story in 1980 that was a mainstream look at kind of urban planning i talked about that that's called strange members of death it's a pretty nice story this one is a return to science fiction it's actually one of his more i would say kind of thematically banal science fiction stories um but it hasn't it's it's a good science fiction story i would think but it's it it doesn't have a lot of kind of the the themes that we're used to seeing in in philip k dick's works I guess it's an attempt to be him, attempt by him to be a, be a little bit more conventional. But the story stands up as as good science fiction. It does have some immediate connections to other short stories by Dick. Most importantly, a little something for us Tempunats. And if you remember my thought, my thoughts on that story. If you read that story, that's really about kind of the banality of 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 space exploration. In that case, it was time travel that gets presented as kind of endless, boring kind of procedure. This is looking more at the actual experience of, of time travel, right? Nothing, something he doesn't really talk about too much. I guess he does in the maze of death. You have, you have kind of like the endless kind of exploration of space, but that's because they're lost in space, right? They have nothing to do except kind of relive different fantasy worlds. But here, you know, it's just the absolute banality of, of, of months and months, years and years in space is exposed quite um, quite brutally. It's got a lot in the story about memories, which is something he picks up in the novel, A Divine Invasion, quite a lot as well. So there, there's parallels to some of his other later works, particularly the stuff you see in the Valis trilogy. But it, it really shows you, this is a good story to look at if you just want to have a good comparison to how like Dick wrote in the 50s compared to how he was writing by the 80s. I mean, thematically, he's in such a different place. He, he, he doesn't even really care about a lot of the issues he cared a lot about in the 80s. Or even when they come up again, they come up in very, very different, different ways. So anyways, um, I hope I shall arrive soon. The background of the story is that it was published in Playboy magazine in December of 1980. Um, and you can find it in the fifth volume of the Collective Stories of, of Philip K. Dick. Uh, of course, all these late stories can be found there. So anyways, yeah, this is, uh, I don't know how much he got for it, but it's, I guess that was a pretty big sale. I don't know what Playboy stories sold for, but it was, it was a sign of his growing, I guess, prestige and you know people knew about him a little bit more he was getting a little bit more famous by this time outside of like just science fiction circles so anyways let's let's as always let's talk about the plot first so we know um, we have some foundation to talk about I actually don't have too much to say about this story outside of talking about its plot though because it's it's kind of straightforward there's not that many layers going on here 
now we're we're given kind of an immediate crisis uh, in our character. We got we our main character is Victor Kemmings, and he's on an interstellar voyage that'll take ten years. So he's put into a cryogenic suspension. So everything's fine with that. But he wakes up at one point in the voyage, and he's told by the computer that he can't be put back into cryogenic suspension at this point. So he's got to basically be awake for for these, this 10-year period. And this is some, you know, the reason they put people in cryo during these long voyages is because people go insane, right? They're, they're alone for those long years. They really can't handle it, right? So cryo-freezing is a way that they, you know, they can just ma- manage the psychology of, of such an extended time of isolation. Right, but so the computer offers up a solution to this problem, which is a pretty serious one. It's kind of life or death, and that's he will be fed his sensory images drawn from his personal memories. Right, that's the best the computer can do. Like take his personal memories and then kind of refeed them back into stories that he'll experience. So he'll think he's, you know, experiencing the, these different memories. Right, and this will be a way for him to stay sane. Victor does have some fears. He fears that he'll a, essentially be under the authoritarian control, mind control, of a computer for ten years, and it will likely feel much longer than that if you add up all the way all the memories will be experienced. He can't even walk around the ship because the ship lacks air and provisions and things like that. So it's he really can't move around. You know, the whole trip was was planned on him being in cryo, and that plans out the window. So essentially, he has to give his fate and even his whole mental experience over to a computer. A pretty scary fact. And he starts then getting his memories. So he eventually has to agree to this, and he starts getting his memories. The first memories that are reconstructed into experiences of all Martine, Victor's wife, who he lived with. The memories begin to break down, and Victor is filled with terror when Martine vanishes. So the computer decides to go to find an even earlier memory, right? And I think there's almost a, a suggestion here that earlier memories are stronger and more solid than, than more recent memories, which is kind of a scary fact. But it's really something that, that sounds right. Um, sounds so, like something Philip Dick would, kind of question he would explore, right? Like, like we feel, like something we remembered from 30, 40 years ago is solid, right? We've continued to remember it again and again. But sometimes things that happened last year are a little bit fuzzier, sometimes even last night or, or yesterday. So there's an idea that the more solid memories are in the past. So the next memory he's given involves a childhood experience. Victor arranged for his cat to kill a bird. After this, he is stung by a bee, something he took as punishment for his act of, um, of killing the bird. He felt immense, immense guilt for doing this. Now, in the memory, a shadow and immense presence scolds him for his cruelty and demands that he never does it again. Victor realizes how difficult it is for him to find happy memories of his own past. Right, and that's a kind of a rather sad thing too. That our maybe some of our strongest memories are those that are most upsetting. Right, like uh, I mean, just even general, like how the whale will hold on to bits of embarrassment. Right, that that can really traumatize us even years later when we think back on them. But the reality is, right, that no one cares about that, right? You're probably the only person who still remembers that embarrassing act. It's, it's you know, how I rarely remember embarrassing things other people did or remember them in brutal ways or, you know, as real sources of, sources of shame for them. But we remember our own embarrassments much more acutely with a, with a much higher degree of suffering. And so Victor here is struggling with the fact that he really can't find happy memories in his past, and the ship is dwelling on these these unhappy ones. The ship does try, though, and it tries to give him another happy memory of his time with Martine, but once again dwells on the guilt he feels over the death of this bird. 
Victor suggests that he would be ha- that he'll be happy at the destination. So the ship begins to f- craft a solution out of the fact that maybe the destination can be something he can sort of uh, live in these kind of uh, simulations in order to help him survive. Okay, so then Victor wakes up along with other crew members. He's had a the bee sting treated by a robot doctor, and he begins having memories of killing the birds. So he's gone back to these memories. He realizes that he's still in the ship, though, and that he's basically having implanted memories. Uh, since the ship computer can only draw experience from Victor's memories, though, they're all going to be clouded by his own neuroses and guilt. So that's, that's the ultimate problem we're facing, right? The ship could, I guess, make a... Well, it's not really offered out here as a solution that the ship could kind of make a false memory, but may, perhaps it wouldn't be believable, right? So a memory only drawn from his own experiences works, but any experience drawn from his own memories is going to be corrupted and by his own guilt. And, and that's the ultimate dilemma we're, we're, we're stuck in. The ship settles on recreating experiences of Victor's arrival at his destination and, and using this kind of grafting expectations of what he's going to see at his destination after 10 years, along with his um, his kind of past and his other you know experiences and kind of graph those together into something that will, will work to keep his sanity during this, this 10 year period. They're going to be flawed, but perhaps they'll make the long trip manageable. So this is finally what the ship tries. Now during the trip, the ship locates Martine Kemmings. She agrees to meet Victor at the colony planet to help him make the transition to the new planet. At the port, Victor recalls the experiences, and he is a bit proud of how he has managed to explore every level of his subconscious, you know, during this this period on the ship. Assuming that this is all just another constructed memory, though, Victor takes tries to um, talks to Martine about how the memory will deconstruct. So he, he's, you know, he then refuses to believe that he has finally reached his destination. And it's probably ambiguous in the story, to be honest, whether this is just the memory that, that's being implanted that will allow him to survive this, or if it's the true experience. Either way, he's not going to be able to know the difference between them. So, you know, if he does reach the planet and Martine is there, you know, he might not recognize it as a reality. He'll just think it's another simulation, right? It could just be that the whole trick of having Martine show up on this planet is simply a you know the what what the ship kind of grafted together for the usefulness of of this man Victor Kemmings sanity so anyways that's the story we have um it's I don't know how much more there's to say about it I just think it's we got a nice twist ending we got or an ambiguous ending and we're given sort of two options and maybe there's a third option I don't know um you know, it's kind of a familiar territory for us. And, you know, we've seen this kind of thing, in, in especially in A Maze of Death, a very very similar story. This story is very similar to A Maze of Death, written, of course, that, that was written, you know, 10 years earlier. It's, it's one of the stronger of Dick's final short stories, I'll just say. Now, the basic idea here is people being lost in space for long periods of time, having to cope with the banality of space travel and loneliness. And this was the central theme of A Maze of Death, and this story strikes us as even more horrible because he has a much greater degree of loneliness than the characters in the Maze of Death. At least there in the Maze of Death, they could create games and v- shared delusions that could, at least to a degree, shared. I mean, that's a bit ambiguous in the story, but the, the basic idea that they can create a shared delusion in which they, they essentially kill each other, that helps them survive 
you know, this long voyage in space, which is essentially an eternal voyage in that, in that story. Here, we got much more loneliness because he doesn't even have anyone he can interact with. He can only interact with his own memories, and that's presented again and again as a very, very flawed um, process. At least the people in the Maze of Death had a variety of experiences that they could share, and, and that's a theme Dick gets to, is, is how everyone's kind of bringing their own stuff to the table. And yeah, the characters are changing each time they kind of run through the simulation, and yeah, each time they're, it's a little bit different, but they're kind of bringing their perspectives and their, you know, their ideas to that, so it's still, it's, it's, it's a communal experience. Victor Kemmings doesn't have anything communal, he's just meditating on his own memories, and that's, of course, dangerous ground. Because that's where one's own, all their mental problems are really stored. In a sense, in the maze of death, they can explore the limits of each other's subconscious, not merely their, their own. Victor has only his own personal, neurotic personality to navigate through. The trouble with this is that he was not a healthy person. He's obsessed about a minor incident he experienced as a kid. The, the bird, the cat, the bird, and the bee incidents. It's one little thing. But again, I, I want to go back to this, you know, how often do we dwell on something that no one else remembers, right? Some little embarrassing or stupid thing we did at one point in our life that we can't get out of our head, right? And it, it just dwells there and it shouldn't, right? Because we're the only people who keep it alive. Probably no one else in the world remembers that event. Or if they remember it, they remember it very differently and not, you know, as a source of, of shame necessarily, but for us, it shames us. So, you know, the idea that I, I've seen articles about this, you know, the idea that maybe we can do the, like, block out one memory, you know, there was that movie, that Jim Carrey movie, where <clears throat> the main character wants to abolish all memory of a girlfriend, right, that he can't get over the breakup with, you know, that idea that we could take one memory that's causing us a lot of trauma and cut it out, you know, it's kind of intriguing, and it, and it might actually be good for a lot of people, um, but... <coughs> Sorry. Memories are such an important part of what it means to be human for Philip K. Dick. But it's memories that are also what are ultimately destroying Victor during this space flight. The story builds on the theme that space exploration and travel is an unbearably horrible experience. Um, this is an argument he looked at in a little something for us, Tempunauts. It's something he's going to bring up again in Alien Mind, which was his last published last story published during his lifetime. These are all kind of extensions of that argument. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot in the story that allow me to explore kind of the normal social, political, cultural critiques that I, I like to pursue in this, in this podcast. But it's still, it's a very, very nice science fiction story. It's dealing with a very interesting theme and question about how we interact with our own memories and how memories can be used to perhaps help us survive a space voyage presented with a very interesting science fiction kind of what if problem. Like what if someone who's supposed to be in cryo wakes up and the only thing he can have to keep him going from going insane is to dwell in his own memories. That's the only place he can find company. But, you know, the problem with that, of course, is that in those memories are all of our neuroses. It's written from a very mature perspective. So we see Dick exploring these themes, you know, from the point of view of labor of very, very late in his career. Uh, so that does it. That's all I have to say for I hope I shall arrive soon. I, I think the title is is self-evident um, about uh, someone who definitely wants to to arrive at his destinations um, as, as quickly as possible. Um, in the next episode, I'll be looking at one 
more short story written in 1980, and that will be Ratavara's Case. And that will bring us to the end of the short stories written in, in 1980. So put an end to that little series. And then we'll have one more short story to look at, The Alien Mind. Before we finish up, uh, we can kind of shut the door on the short stories um, once and for all. As always, thank you for listening to my thoughts on on these stories and these novels. If you have any of your own opinions about I Hope I Shall Arrive Soon, please leave them below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time when I will give my thoughts on Ratavara's case. So